gardening talk back for today. Always look forward to an update on the plants. Scott Sharp, where are we going to start? Well, we might start by just repeating the phone number if you'd like to get your question into Scott. 49216216 and that'll get your question through to Scott today. So um, let's start off with the the weather yesterday and the potential problems that rain, heavy rain, might have caused. Well, for starters, you got wet. You got very wet yesterday. My poor old dogs just sort of, when I came home last night, they were very, very happy to see me. (laughs) Even though they were in the kennel, I I don't think they liked it. But for your plants, it wasn't going to be too flash. Uh, So always make sure that uh, if you've got uh, pots outside that the drainage holes are clear because often they'll fill up and they'll start, the soil will start to go sour in there. So uh, just flip it over and get a you know a stick and bung it up the hole and see if it uh, clears up for you. But then I was having a think about uh, pansies, because a lot of people have got pansies in their garden at the moment, and they do give a fantastic show uh, right during winter out in the full sun. But the one thing they don't like uh, is getting too wet. And yesterday was just going to be a horror show for them, wasn't it? It was just going to... You know, no escaping. Every movie, horror movie that you can think of possible was coming out yesterday for poor old pansies. So, uh, look, one of the, the worst things they can get here in Newcastle as well is the uh, follicular diseases. And uh, often that just manifests itself as, as a black spot uh, all over the pansy leaf. But, look, uh, um, they, there can be different fungal diseases that they can get on their leaves. But, uh, look, the fantastic thing is that uh, you treat them all exactly the same way. Now, uh, of course, uh, these foliar diseases are favoured by extended periods of um, leaf wetness. So even if it's not raining and you're watering late in the day and then that the little pansy plants go right through the uh, evening uh, you know, having wet leaves all night is going to increase the, uh, you know, the potential for that disease to uh, to take hold. Uh, so they, look, they need about uh, a minimum of eight to twelve hours of constant leaf wetness to uh, infect the plant. So the best thing to do is, you know, probably go out about nine or ten o'clock in the day and water then, so that it's actually going to dry off within two or three hours in winter. If you go and water, you know, when you get home at night, for instance, well. Uh, you know, those leaves are just going to sit wet um, for the entire night. And then probably a dew will settle on them as well. And, you know, it won't be till 10 or 11 o'clock. So they're certainly going to see their, uh, you know, far more than 8 to 12 hours. So they're going to be very, very susceptible to uh, fungal diseases. So this is especially for winter as opposed to summer. Summer, well, you it doesn't matter yeah, so much. Yeah, and pansies die Definitely. off in summer, okay. so it's not such right. a big deal. Then. And I guess when the dew settles, then that does, you know, make it go on longer. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the worst ones we get uh, is the leaf... Uh, uh, spot on pansies where you get the tiny little purple spots and then uh, you know sort of other flecks appear on the upper leaves uh, so look with that you can treat that with uh, mancozet plus but the main thing is not getting it on there and uh, so to, you know just you know trying to uh, keep to that that watering regime that we were just talking about uh, look unfortunately you know if these funguses uh, do get on there and leaf debris drops down onto the ground it will survive in that leaf debris as well the other thing uh, pansies can get a little bit like mangoes is they can get anthracnose and uh, they sort of look like uh, black uh, spots black or grey spots with big margins on them as well. So again, use Mancozeb to try and keep that under control. Root diseases, they can get root diseases. And guess what? That's because they can stay too wet. So you have to be careful about that as well. Uh, It is very difficult to control. So make sure that uh, your pansies are in nice, well-drained soil. They don't like a sort of a wet substrate. So they don't like it being, you know, soggy and damp in underneath. So uh, make sure that, you know, any containers you've got them in, uh, a draining well, that they're not necessarily sitting in sources because they'll just keep on soaking up any of that water and, and they'll just keep the soil 
uh, you know, damp, and then the uh, pansy won't be uh, very, very happy at all. Uh, look, again, uh, the only thing you can really do for that is to uh, use up uh, mancozeb as a drench and water that through the source. So mancozeb is the fungicide of choice uh, to try and control pansy diseases, but uh, just be aware. Uh, just try and uh, water, you know, in the daytime so that they're not going to stay wet overnight and keeping in mind any dew that we have as well. What about in pots? They go well in pots? They do absolutely fantastic in pots. Uh, but like we were just saying, mm. make sure they're not in a saucer. Or if you do have a saucer underneath it, that you do empty it out after you've watered it so it's not just sitting there and soaking up like a wick. But uh, look, they look beautiful in hanging baskets as well. You really do get a fantastic show uh, during winter out of pansies and there's a ver whole variety of colours if you want pure white you can go with those with yellow centres there's pinks all sorts of pastels listen to me talking about the colours uh, there's there's purples uh, look uh, and look bright yellows as well so a whole different varieties of pansy colours uh, full sun and uh, you'll have a, a really lovely show right through winter of course they die off like you asked uh, when we get through to summer. Now, Sharp City Gardeners is moving. Hello, Scott Sharp. Where are you going to? Yeah, this is a little bit John Laws, isn't it? We're sort of coming on in the middle doing an ad. But, yes, we're moving to 324 Derby Street in uh, Cooks Hill. Uh, it's up the Bar Beach end, really, uh, up near the roundabout up there. Uh, we're going to be giving all the same advice. We're going to be selling plants there, a lot of indoor plants, indoor pots, uh, of course, chemicals. So if, you need any, if you've got any problems with your garden, still come in and talk to us and we'll be able to help you at 324 Derby Street. And when are you opening there? We're going to open those doors on Saturday. Excellent. Sharp City Gardener moving to Derby Street, number 324. But in the meantime, Scott, um, rubber trees, you say, and uh, talking about tyres, can we actually make tyres out of our rubber trees? Oh, I wish we could. I mean, the, the, the price we pay for tyres and then they sort of get thrown away at the end, don't they? And they create so much horrid landfill. Uh, so I wish we could make, uh, you know, something that was a little bit more eco-friendly that would go on the uh, wheels of our, our, our cars, unfortunately. Uh, but look, that's where rubber did come from. It came from the old rubber tree. And uh, they're uh, indigenous to uh, Mexico and Central America and South America, so in, in that area. They have now sort of been transplanted into Asia as well because of a very similar climate. And they were first, uh, you know, the properties were first discovered by the ancient Mayans and the Aztecs, so it's been around for, for quite some time. I wonder what they used it for. Well, I haven't quite got to the bottom of that yet. Yeah. Look, I know what we've, you know, obviously we started using it for, you know, waterproofing clothes and, and shoes and, you know, and rubber balls even. I mean, we use it for a whole variety of things now, but it'd be interesting to find out what they did use it for back then. Yeah. So, look, it is quite a large tree and it's probably not particularly suited for... Uh, for the urban garden. A lot of people have them as an indoor plant and they do do very well there uh, because they're very tough. But uh, trying to, uh, if, you, if you make the mistake of going and sticking it, stick it in, in the ground outside, all of a sudden you can have a monster in your backyard. And they'll get to about 100 to 130 feet tall and they can live up to 100 years. So That's huge and a long time. Yeah, that's, um, that's sort of a dinosaur sort of period. I don't know how long the dinosaurs actually live and I just made that up. Uh, look, and I guess the reason we also know it is because it gets that wilky, you know, that uh, milky white sap if we, uh, you know, break the leaves or break any of the branches. And that is actually the latex. That's the, that's the bit that they use for rubber. Uh, and the other reason we uh, know about it is because they have those beautiful uh, red flower sort of bracts on them when they come out and flower. And it's, it's quite a startling red. Uh, now, the other danger about those is that uh, when they burst open, they can actually scatter their seeds, you know, over 100 feet 
from the tree. So that's quite a long way. So, uh, you know, you might have some pretty unhappy neighbours if you've got a rubber tree that uh, sort of bursts its seeds in your backyard. Uh, look, you can't tap the uh, the latex rubber for about uh, until about six years after the plant, you know, to get it up to a decent size. It's actually a member of the uh, Euphorbia family. Uh, so the other thing about the, the latex is that it occurs in these sort of vessels in, in the bark, and the vessels aren't sort of vertical. They actually run around the, the trunk of the tree in, in a spiral, and uh, it's about 30 degrees from the horizontal, and they spiral around and around and around, and they go up to about uh, 45 feet high, you can get them. And so what the uh, people who are harvesting them do, they'll just make an incision across that uh, latex vessel, and then they'll sort of put almost a little tap into the trunk of the tree and then stick a bucket in underneath and it just drip, 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 drips and they collect that and uh, then they use it. Look, unfortunately as well, uh, I guess, you know, where they are in South America that, uh, you know, you know they'll, they'll cut down, uh, you know, parts of the rainforest and stuff to stick them in because they can sell it. So that's a bit unfortunate. And then you have, uh, you know, difficulties between, you know, people who want to use the uh, that area for, uh, you know, you know, running cattle or whatever they do in South America and these plantations. So unfortunately, as we've seen, you know, the rainforest is being destroyed uh, by that sort of stuff happening. Uh, unfortunate, mm. but it seems to be for our insatiable need for car tyres and other rubber <laughs> products that we uh, that we go up and do it. But uh, look, a very interesting uh, way. And I guess it's, uh, you know, as a as a product, it is almost environmentally friendly in that, uh, you know, it's not cutting down the tree. It's, you know, reusing the tree over uh, a number of years. But uh, to uh, create those plantations, unfortunately, a lot of damage is done. Mm. Well, 49216216, how easy is it to get your question through to Scott Sharp today? Kath has done that. She's rung in from Gorakin. And you've got a question about your geraniums. Are they not behaving properly, Kath? That's right, Jess. They're not behaving. Um, some of the leaves are starting to turn white. And I was just wondering what the problem might be. Okay. They're I'd, in pots. I don't know what sort of disciplinary measure I can give those uh, badly behaving geraniums, but we'll try and work it out for you. So they're just right. turning, they're turning white, are they? Just parts of the leaves are turning white, getting a bit thin. Okay. Uh, so when you turn them over, is there uh, like a little, any scale or any little sort of white no, uh, cotton wool? No, sort of it's stuff just, um, it just seems that they're getting like um, thinner. Mm. They're white and, yes. Okay. So, look, geraniums can get fungal diseases. Uh, right. but in winter, that would be fairly unusual unless we'd had, a, you know, a sustained period of rain. And we really haven't had that until right. the last few days. But as a preventative, if you want to, you can get a fungicide like copper oxychloride or you can get mancozeb. Yep and right. uh, spray it with that. Probably mancozeb is going to be the best because uh, geraniums can get a rust on them, but that actually looks like a rust. Rust, and, right. Yep. And, and most people, when they ring up, they'll describe it like that and you can work it out very quickly. So uh, uh, just give it a preventative spray. And the other thing I would say is just give it a good old feed. Start using liquid fertilisers on them. Right. Yes. Uh, there's a product called Flourish that you can use. You can use that every couple of weeks if you want to. Uh, it's a liquid fertiliser. Mix up in the watering can and just water that. It's going to generally make the plant more healthy. It's also going to improve the flowering for you over time, although you won't get much flowering at the moment in winter. Good. Thank you very much for your help. And okay. um, Yes, uh, the other week you've had on um, the ladies, they were talking about um, taking... I oh, know it's not the pet show, but um, they were talking about people taking their pets for walk-in prams. Yes. And we have a lady that lives in Gorican and Tukli, and we always see her. She's got, they look like twin dogs, and she wheels them along in a pram along the main road. 
It looks so beautiful. Now, look, that, that, that's not odd at all, but if you started taking your geraniums for a walk in the pram, we, we might look sideways at you as you walk past. But that, maybe, maybe they're just bored and that's why they're misbehaving. Yeah, okay. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Matthew, that's the number you rang from Lawn Macadamias. Now, that sounds tasty. How can we help you with it, mate? Mate, um, just renovating a property, and I've got a bit of a, I've got a bank sort of canvas with the landscape, and I was hoping to put a hedge in. I was thinking maybe of macadamias. I just wonder what your thoughts are on using those as sort of a, a medium to large hedge. Yeah, look, I, I think they'll work uh, quite well for you. They, they form quite a dense canopy. Uh, you can also get a bit of a trunk underneath them as well if you want to, uh, you know, keep on mowing or slashing around in underneath. But I guess if you kept on pruning the tops of them, that they'd uh, stay fairly low to the ground as well. The other thing about the, okay. that's all right. The other thing you can uh, do with them is they are, in the plantations, they actually still grow them quite close together, so uh, you can have them close together as well. So I think they'll be an ideal hedge for you. Now, of course, of course. Oh, Matthew's line, I uh, think, is not doing so well there. Um, a question on his behalf: Will they fruit if you keep trimming them? Uh, look, they they won't fruit if you keep trimming trimming the tops off them and the sides. But again, if you like most uh, fruiting things, if you time when you're actually going to prune them, then uh, you know that is after the finished fruiting and flowering. Then by next year, they'll be right to go again. So uh, look, I think that'd be an ideal hedge. Pretty tough, really, as well. Uh, the only thing you'd really have to spray for is uh, when they're flowering, uh, they can get a fungal disease coming down into the nut. So that's when you have to spray with macadamias as they're flowering, a little bit like mangoes, I guess. Uh, but as far as the actual, uh, you know, the actual tree and the leaf of the tree goes, yeah, very tough old plant. Matthew, how is your line going at the moment? Still there? I'm here. Have you got me? Oh, yeah, yeah we've got you back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, so oh, look- mate, that's good. I was hoping, yeah, just something different besides, you know, lily pillies and marais and things like that, I thought. You know, seeing them in the commercial sense, they mm. hedge them up quite, quite sort of close to the trunk as well. You know, they don't give them far to spread. So. No, no. In, in the plantations, they are quite uh, close together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What about, I've got another one for you. It's not a passion fruit question. That's right. Um, what about, um, can I lift bulbs like now? I know they're, you know, they are growing now like there's some jonquils, but I go to listen in winter and I forget where they are all the time. So at the moment, you know, they're up. Can I lift those at all and, you know, transplant straight away with any success, do you think? It, look, you can, you can. Look, they're not going to, you know, really harm them. The thing with bulbs is as they're dying back, uh, that's when they're actually feeding back down into the bulb for next year. Yeah. Uh, so, look, I know you sort of tread that fine line, don't you? You, you lose where they are, uh, but... You know, you might not necessarily get as strong a bulb next year or as many. So that's when they'll actually split off as well. So you can give it a try and see what happens. Okay, Okay. Thanks for that. Okay. Thanks very much, Matthew. 49216216 is the number to ring. Mitch has rung that number from Elibana. And your question's about Ficus lyrata. Is that right, Mitch? Yes, Ficus lyrata. Fiddly fig. Lyrata. Yeah, it's um, my daughter's plant, Scott, and she's got a few of them. Apparently, it's a trendy indoor plant now, but it tends to go brown and the leaves mm. fall off. I told her to let it dry out, especially being an indoor plant. She's done that, but they. Is it, is it an overly touchy plant? It seems to be. Look, they're, they're not too bad. They're, they're one of those plants is once you find exactly the right spot in the house, they're oh. going to go great guns for you. What they like is a nice, well-lit uh, room, you know, very close to a window they'll do well. 
Uh, and the other thing they don't like, and you, you were right on the money here, mate, they don't like sitting in a saucer of water and being soggy. So you can give them plenty of water as long as it drains through them in a way and they're not soaking up water all the time, they'll do very, very well. And that's probably why they're getting those uh, you know, browned off leaves. You'll find that the, the, they'll brown off from inside the vein uh, because they're just soaking up far too much water. Uh, look, I use them in plant hire. Uh, we do a little bit of plant hire, and uh, they're in air-conditioned offices, but the places I keep them uh, are near very bright windows of the two places I've got in mind. Uh, I do have a saucer underneath them, but I only give them enough water so that I can see the, the water just trickling through and starting to fill the saucer, and then I stop, because otherwise I'll sit there all week and I'll soak up water and they'll go bad on us. So, yeah... Um, as long as she's got them in a nice, well-lit room, mate, uh, she can have a trend-setting plant in the house. <laughs> the other thing is, too quickly, Scott, it, when, it, when it browns off, she cuts the brown bits off. She should just re- remove the whole leaf. Yeah, look, uh, usually if they're browning off from down the bottom in the vein system, the whole leaf is going to die off anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, just remove the whole leaf in that case. Thanks, okay. Cheers. Thanks very much, that, Mitch. Have a good Thanks, afternoon. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah, and 49216216. And Max is ringing in from Greta now. And, ah, Staghorn. How can we help yes. you with it, Max? Um, look, a friend gave me a Staghorn um, a, a few days ago, and it looks very sick. Um, what do I do to promote a bit of growth in it? Yeah, um, the- so they can be a touchy plant because they're they're a native max, so you have to be careful with them. Uh, the old thing used to be to uh, you know get uh, you know some banana skins and throw them in the top and let them rot away, and that was enough to feed them. So you can certainly do that if you want to. The other thing you could do is get a, a native. Uh, fertilizer. Make sure it's a native fertilizer. You could get a slow release one, like uh, you know one of the osmocotes, uh, and just sprinkle a few of the uh, uh, you know the pellets into the top of the the staghorn like that, and just let them break down over time. You have to make sure that they're the native ones. I think the old banana trick's probably not a bad idea. The other thing staghorns can get is they can get a borer going through them if they get older. So you'll actually see you know the frash, the sort of the sawdust coming out of the bum of the borer and uh, out through back through the holes that you get, and you have to try and treat those. Uh, that can be a little bit uh, problematic as well with staghorns. Uh, I would start giving it a feed. That's probably going to be the most important thing. Staghorns are such interesting plants, aren't they? They look um, very tropical. They do, yeah, but they'll grow in the most unusual places, won't they, up around Gloucester where it's quite cold uh, and, you know, and then up the coast. So, so yeah, very, very... Uh, you know, resilient plant. Uh, Do they grow on the ground as well as in branches? Look, I'd say they would grow on rocks and things, but you mostly see them growing up on on the trees. I don't know how... I think they just sort of spore down from the, you know, the plants that are there. I don't know how they get higher up. Maybe the, 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 you know, the exhaust of the, you know, the winds blowing them further up into the trees. Yes, or birds maybe? No, no seeds? (laughs) No, they're not a seed plant. They actually spore. So people will come in sometimes and say, what's wrong with my staghorn? Because they see in underneath the leaf of the plant, much like a fern, that dogs have this sort of velvety bronze stuff in there, and that's actually the spores. Mm-hmm. And so when they get released around by the wind, I guess you know they just get blown around and they land on other trees, and that's where they start to grow again. Mm. So has that answered your question, Max? Um, yes, it has. Just one other thing. Is there any particular direction that they need to be facing when you put them 
on a tree or a wall or whatever. Yeah, look, I wouldn't have them facing, uh, you know, in that west to northerly, so not northwest, I guess. Uh, if you're going to face them anywhere, you'd face them, uh, you know, around the northern, uh, around to the eastern and southern quadrant, just to keep them out of that full sun in the afternoon. Okay, no full sun for staghorns. No, they don't. Look, they won't die, but they just feel a little bit unhappy, and you'll find that they'll look a bit tatty. Helen's rung in from Wall's End. She'd like some advice about planting succulents. I think that's what you're on about, Helen. Yes, definitely. Hello. Hello. They're easy to look after, aren't they? That's the great yes, thing. Yes, I have quite a few in pots, Scott, but I've also got this little rockery out the back. Mm-hmm. But I, in the past, I've had little natives and that growing amongst it. And I thought, maybe I'll put the succulents, some of the succulents in the rockery. Now, do I need to use a succulent potty mix to a little rockery up with that before I plant them, or will they coexist with the, the little natives, or...? I would think they're going to coexist with the natives because uh, natives like a you know a fairly well drained soil as well. If you need to build it up, just go get a bag of. Uh, I succulent. do need to build it up, yeah. Yeah, so look, I, I would get a succulent mix in that case. Uh, yeah. Don't use a you know a normal potting mix because often they can have water crystals. If you know yep. if you're getting a decent one, so you don't want that. You don't want them being. Oh, I know being that. Yeah, I know that like a lot of water, especially in the winter. So no, look, the other thing about a rockery is it's uh, you know built up, so it's you know gravity is a wonderful thing and it will naturally drain the water away. But uh, nevertheless, I'd still uh, get a, a succulent mix, and it's going to you know be good for the natives as well. It's not going to harm them if you're okay. going to try and live together. Okay. Uh, and with succulents, look, they can get a bit unruly as well, just like any other plant. So yeah. every now and again, you know, it's it's not a, a problem to give them a prune back, and that uh, keeps them nice and tidy and full from the bottom for you as well. Okay. Not a problem, Helen. Thank you very much. And while we're talking about plants that are sort of like succulents, mm-hmm. can I ask you about my cordylines? Yes. What the, What do you want to know? Well, I'd like them to look as happy and healthy and big and full of life as they once did, which I don't think they are. They oh, look no. as though they're shrinking a bit. So the, the, with cordylines, and you're talking about uh, cordyline fruticosa, the bigger wide leaf, more tropical looking Wide ones? leaf, tropical. Yeah. Okay. So most people grow those because of the, the leaf structure on them and the beautiful colours that you get and the size of the leaves. Uh, So you need to use a nitrogen-rich fertiliser for those. You don't really worry too much about the flowering. Uh, So there's uh, Flourish, Green and Growth. Uh, That's a nitrogen-rich fertiliser, so you can definitely use those. The other thing with cordies is as they start to get that trunk on them, you actually give them a cutback and then you'll get a split off from there. So you'll get two branches coming out from there and then you'll get a fuller plant and more of those beautiful red leaves that you're looking after. Do they like lots of sun? Would they be upset because maybe one of the big trees nearby is keeping the sun away from them? Look, it's, they're, they're a funny thing. In Newcastle, they don't necessarily like the cold settling on them. And then in summer, uh, we're not quite humid enough uh, for them to be out in the full sun. You head up north and they just do fine uh, out in the full sun uh, because they can suck that humidity back out of the uh, atmosphere and keep them looking really nice. Uh, but in here, I guess if they're in dappled sunlight, uh, you know, morning sunlight, uh, just something to try and protect them as well. So in under trees, I guess. But as long as they are still getting light in there, they should do quite well. Where's yours? Um, sort of west facing, but there's lots of trees. So there's lots of shade in the afternoon, in the late afternoon. Yeah, that, that probably isn't bad for it. It okay. may just be that the trees are sucking up, you know, a lot of the, the nutrient out of the soil as well. So, so I, I think that fertilising is going to do great guns for you. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Scott Sharp. I'll take a question on notice at any time. (laughs) Excellent. Well, just uh, for the moment, you did say we might talk about plants in space. Oh, yes, plants.
Science in Space because last night I sat down and turned on a movie and it was called Sunshine. It's a story of a uh, spaceship and somewhere in the future that has to go to the sun to, to try and reignite it because uh, it, the sun is dying. Well, we all know the sun's dying anyway, but we hope it doesn't happen anytime soon. So off they've gone a spaceship to try and reignite it. Uh, long journey. They need oxygen. Do they? Yes. And they get that from? A space garden that they've got in the spaceship. It unfortunately, oh, I'm going to spoil it now, it unfortunately does get destroyed at one point in time, so oxygen runs low. I will give that to you. Well, you probably saw that one coming anyway. But that made me think about what are we as humans actually doing to try and uh, get plants and edible plants as well growing in space, and could they actually create enough oxygen to keep you know, a space mission going to the sun to try and save Earth. But uh, look, one of the I, so I jumped on a couple of NASA websites and they're very, very into it. They've got the International Space Station. I would have jumped on one of the Russian ones, but I can't read Russian, so uh, they would have had the same sort of stuff. Look, lettuce, peas, and radishes are a few of the vegetables that uh, seem to be doing pretty well in space. Uh, some of the reasons they're actually doing the experiments. Uh, so they're also trying to find out, like we we're saying, about oxygen and uh, edible foods and whether they'll actually provide comfort and relaxation to the crew. Uh, gravity doesn't have much of an effect. Uh, the roots still seek, go down and seek uh, the moisture and the, uh, the leaves still go towards the light. So gravity, although you, know, you think it might have an effect, uh, it's really not having too much an effect on the plants. Um, so, yeah, that's just something that they're trying to do to try and work out if, uh, you know, we can use plants to travel further and further into space. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Well, Deb has rung in now from Newcastle West, uh, Teddy Bear Magnolia. Deb. How can we help you with them, Deb? Hello, Scott. How are you? Very well. Yeah, I've, we've just moved recently into town in an apartment and it faced east. Mm -hmm. We've got a lovely view east and I bought a teddy bear and I potted it in a quite a big pot. Mm. It's only about a metre tall at this stage. When could I expect flowers on that, do you think? Look, probably not at this time of year. And I just, just for, oh, no, no. no. I, and yeah. just, just to, just to uh, say, that fantastic east view that you've got there, you're looking over Carrington where I am, so it is a, yeah. a wonderful view that you've got, no doubt. But uh, nevertheless, uh, your teddy bear magnolia is probably not going to flower now that we're in winter. Uh, no. You will find it starting to flower once we get late August, September. You should find some buds starting to come on it then. Oh, uh, even though it's not very tall yet. Yeah, even though it's not very yeah. tall, it'll still have a have a crack at uh, sending off yeah. the flower. Now, the main thing that you do, uh, having it in a pot, is you make sure it's being well watered and make sure it's being well fertilised because uh, yes, so they yes, are they are going to. Yeah, soak yeah. up a fair bit of nutrient to get them flowering. Uh, look, yeah. they are very, very tough. So if you're getting those winds coming up the harbour or even the westerly winds as well, they will withstand. We face out to the coast, sort yeah. of. We're not. Yeah, we're sort of... Okay, so you will get uh, some winds coming on there, but they, yeah. will, they will do quite well um, facing up to, you know, quite strong winds and salty winds. So Yeah, they're back a little bit on our veranda, so you shoot on our terrace, so it shouldn't be too bad, but it'll get a lot of sun yeah. there. Yeah, so just make yeah. sure it's been well watered and give it a hose off uh, if you do know that you've had a lot of salt on it. Thanks, Deb. And one last question for today on Gardening Talkback. Bob from Munmora, Frangipani. That's another lovely plant. How can we help you with it, Bob? Oh, look, in five or six years, it's gone from one metre to about four. Mm -hmm. And my, uh, from the main trunk, there's about three uh, offshoots to it. Yes. If I cut it back, all of it back, to about a metre and a half... Will they reproduce? 
or do they just does it become dormant? Uh, look, it, it won't reproduce at the moment. That is becoming dormant. Uh, so if you cut it back now, it's, look, it's obviously it's going to be bare anyway until spring and summer. But uh, in winter is the best time to prune back a frangipani. Uh, look, just be aware that you sort of will have an unusual shape to the plant once you cut it back because they sort of come out with these little water shoots almost, like little fingers that come off. So it, uh, it can look a little bit odd once you cut it back. But if you want to do it, now is the time to do it as it's becoming dormant like any deciduous tree. Thank you, Bob. And that brings us pretty well to the end of Gardening Talkback today. Oh, we survived. Thank you, Scott Sharp. And we will be talking gardening next Monday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>